This is Story and Rain Talks, the Story and Rain podcast. I'm Tamara, founder and editor in chief. After over 20 years in the fashion and magazine industries, I launched StoryandRain.com, a digital fashion, beauty, and lifestyle publication where we're bridging the gap between reading a magazine and shopping its pages. On this podcast, you'll discover the emerging trends and tastemakers that matter right now. As a catalyst for creativity and through candid conversations with our community of cultural arbiters, we're your resource for discovering today's most interesting people, projects, and products. And we'll explore the origins for game-changing ideas and careers. With our high-low approach to style and the belief that there's magic in the mix, we're going to inspire you to live your most stylish life. On this podcast, we're talking about the art of intuition and more with someone I've known for a while. Deganit Nur is a world-renowned spiritual teacher, clairvoyant, intuitive, acupuncturist, writer, and speaker. Since she and I first met, Deganit has been named one of the top 15 intuitives worldwide by Goop and has been featured on the Today Show, Good Morning America, Forbes, and the New York Times. She works with a lot of thought leaders and celebrities, and over the years, I've admired her drive and her mission as she's gone from practicing to teaching thousands. Her mission? Be light. Landing in Fresno, California, an Iranian Jewish immigrant, Deganit experienced a traumatic upbringing and was surrounded by visible domestic violence. And on this podcast, she shares her creative response and heartwarming role to those around her when she was a child. And she believes that world peace starts with inner peace. We talk about her love of teaching and her love of writing. She has a book in the works, and we discuss how her work with countless broken adults has propelled her to teach children, in which she finds inspiration and hope for our future. We discuss the custom curriculum she created with her Nirvana method of clairvoyant healing, and she explains something called psychic TV. Degany wants people to understand that change is the only constant and that everything is impermanent. I can attest to Degany's powerful gift. But whether you believe in psychic ability or not, there is much to learn about cultivating your own intuition and more from this incredibly special healer who loves and values community and believes with all her mind, body, and soul that we're all in this together. Here's Degany Ner. Hi. Hi. <laughs> look at how pretty you look. <laughs> I did it for you. <laughs> you did? Look at your ruffles. Okay, let's get started. How are you creative in your work? Ooh, I love this question. The first thing that comes to mind is the education, educational arm of Nirvana. Recently, we just recorded, so we already have a module on spirit guides up there. And so we just recorded some more to add to that. So how to plug in multiple spirit guides, how to lean into your spirit guides and use them to help bring in human friendships, stuff like that. So Definitely with all the educational curriculum, it lends itself to a lot of creativity, the events, that's super fun. And I mean, it's channeling when in session, but the weirdest things come out. <laughs> that always feels really creative too. That's yeah, That's right. That's very creative. Like the prism, you know, like yes. didn't see that coming, but yeah. yet it did lend itself to even like you pull on the string and there's even more creativity. What does the word intuition mean to you? Trusting yourself. I feel like we're all born intuitive, just not all of us trust that. So trusting yourself. How does intuition connect to creativity and does using one's intuition foster creativity? 
100%. I love this question. That is a very advanced question, by the way. So intuition and imagination are just a frequency away. So the more intuitive you are, chances are the more imaginative you are, the more authentic you are, the less you're trying to color inside the lines and the more you're free to go beyond the lines, beyond the paper, you know, like it helps you tap into this universal consciousness that existed before these man-made constructs of, you know, rules, terms, conditions, parameters. And so, yeah, honing your intuition is absolutely, it's in ratio with working your creativity, growing your creativity grows your intuition, growing your intuition grows your creativity. So it doesn't matter which comes first. They'll both lend themselves to the other. How do you help others cultivate their own intuition? Great question. I love that. A few different ways. So definitely the educational curriculum, especially because through the curriculum, we won't answer questions for you. We're just constantly guiding you back to answering your own questions, which can be frustrating. I totally get it. Novices don't love that. That's interesting to me. That would be a really cool practice. It is really cool. So we have the online program, but then we also have a mentorship and the mentorship gets a four months, but every week you do a self-assessment so you can track your own progress and recognize, and we have you keep an intuition log. So throughout the four months, you're like, holy shit, like that came true and that came true. And oh my God, I'm psychic. You know, the intuition is so subtle and it comes through as a whisper. So it's really easy to miss unless you are documenting it and logging it. And so just that tiny little practice helps you tune into all those intuitive hits of the day. How intuitive can one become by doing this? For example, can someone become like you or is what you have otherworldly and something you're born with, really? I think we're all born with it. I just think that we all have different gifts. So I love that you brought up the creativity. I think some people are channeling when they are painting or sculpting and that's their offering to the world. That's their healing. That's the medicine that they're offering. You can absolutely cultivate it. The tricky part is, so I teach clairvoyance, which is clarity and vision. So the way I teach it is so that you watch psychic TV and interpret the symbolism, the imagery as intuitive messages that help guide you forward. Even though this is what I teach, a fraction of my students will never develop their clairvoyance, but they'll develop their clairaudience instead or their claircognizance. So they might not ever see anything on psychic TV, but they're hearing so much or they're connected with their dead relatives. And like all of this other stuff comes through. So it's just, we're all gifted in different ways, but we're all definitely intuitive. Talk a little bit more about psychic TV. I know what you're talking about because I have been in session with you many, many times and there are pictures that you see. So talk a little bit more about psychic TV. Is it just about letting your mind be free enough to start to see a story? You really have to clear your mind and the things that come to you instantly, whether it's, I don't know, making this up like an envelope or a staircase. Absolutely. Again, I think we're all intuitive, but we doubt ourselves. And so before even going to the psychic TV module, there's a month's worth of work in clearing yourself and just getting your energy field right. There's this beautiful Anais Nin quote where she says, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And it's just speaking about, we're all projecting, right? We all have our past, we all have our biases and we tend to project it onto others and onto the future. And so 
the first step to psychic TV is to get to a neutral place where you're not projecting and your biases aren't there. And it's like you're a blank slate. And then that's when you bring up the little TV screen, there's a protocol and you bring up the TV screen. And for me, the second I set the intention, it's like, I can't keep up with the imagery. It just comes. And it's sometimes I have to like slow down the screen to convey the messages. So yeah, the TV screen, the psychic TV turns into an energy link language translator. The symbolism comes through, the psychic picks up on it, describes it. Sometimes I'll describe imagery that means more to the client than it does to me. I'll be like, I'm seeing you hiding underneath a chair, but I'm not getting any words. This doesn't mean anything to me. I don't know the metaphor here. I don't know what's going on, but I'm being told to tell you. And then the client is like, oh my God, that was me last night. This happened. And so when you honor what's on the screen, it's like pulling a thread and it allows more and more to unveil and reveal itself. And it's just about being curious enough and then trusting yourself enough to put words to what you're seeing. And the number one thing that I see students do is after class, they'll DM me, they'll text me, they'll email me and be like, so when the class saw this, I saw this. And they're like spot on, but they didn't talk during class because they were like doubting themselves the whole time. Meanwhile, they were so accurate. So much of this is about being free. Yeah, absolutely. You spoke to this a bit, but let's get into it more. Why are some people more intuitive than others? Who are those people? Who are the innately intuitive and who are the not so intuitive? So that's tricky. I definitely think the older of a soul you are, you know, the more you are trusting the intuition and seeing past the illusions of life. And what does old soul mean to you? Great question. So I believe in reincarnation and in past lives and old soul to me means somebody that has reincarnated quite a few times and has kind of mastered their karmic lessons. Like they get it. So a younger soul is kind of like a two-year-old that's taking all of life personally and throwing tantrums. (laughs) And you know, two-year-olds are so self-involved. They're still learning where do I end and the world begins? How do I exert my power here? What are the consequences to my actions? That's a younger soul. And if we are going to put psychiatric labels on it. Yeah. A younger soul does tend to be a little bit more self-involved. Narcissists tend to be younger souls, stuff like that. Whereas the older soul might be more of the empath, more of the outliers because they're seeing through the constructs that are all arbitrary. So would it be safe to say that people who have been through a lot and people who have taken lots of risks are in that category. That's the tricky part. Are they highly intuitive? Because we've all experienced trauma, but what do you do with your trauma? Are you going to heal it and rise above it? That's usually the older soul. Are you becoming a victim to circumstance and turning the trauma into your identity and sticking with that consciousness that totally limits you? And then you're seeing the world as you are, not as it is. And so you're projecting all these limiting biases onto life. That's usually the younger soul. The same situation, you put a new soul in there and a young soul in there and they might go opposite directions. The older soul comes out of it and rises and gives back and sees their connection to humanity. And the younger soul plays victim consciousness and is like, why me? And this is so unfair. And they use it to distance themselves from humanity. Let's go back to your childhood. What was your life like growing up? There was trauma. (laughs) Speaking of trauma. (laughs) Timely question. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm an immigrant. We got here when I was four. I started school not speaking English. Where are you Uh, from? Let's talk about where you're from. mm -hmm. I was born in Israel. 
I'm Iranian, but it was 1979 and everyone was leaving Iran. It was the Islamic revolution. So especially Jews, I'm Jewish, were leaving Iran, but basically everyone was. So my parents, it was an arranged marriage. They knew each other a week. <laughs> He's not a great person. He's just like a really dark, dark person. They get married in Iran, move to Israel. We're in Israel for a few years. I'm born, my brother's born. And in that time, my mom realizes she can't stand my dad and has to end this. And so when we moved to the U.S. is when she lived separate from him. And so that means that we grew up with single mom in public housing. We're definitely at the poverty line. Where um, were you living at the time? In the United States when mm -hmm. we got here. Fresno, California. So it's fine. It's like a truck stop. It's okay. Um, but where we were living, there was poverty. So there was a lot of domestic violence. It was sad. Like I felt, I know both my brother and I felt neglected. Obviously we weren't neglected. It was just like my mom had to work crazy long hours to put food on the table. But as kids, we just felt neglected and insignificant. Like we don't matter, all of that fun stuff. And meanwhile, the domestic violence that we were witness to wasn't in our home, but everyone was black and blue. I think what you're saying is that it was palpable. It was visible. It was in your face. This wasn't even something that you could ignore or not see as a child. Yeah. So my mom was obviously depressed for many reasons. Right. So that was one model of adulting. And then the others that I saw were either angry or sad. I just remember thinking, I don't want to grow up and I don't like my childhood. So where do we go from here? I don't like this or there. What a unique position to be in and yeah. way to feel. Yeah. So that's when I started playing with my imaginary friends, which I'm now realizing are spirit guides. Speaking of imaginary friends, how were you creative as a child? Let's talk about that. I love this. Yeah, I've always been a healer and I can see that in hindsight. As a child, I was surrounded by all these sad, sad adults, very, very sad adults. And I did grow up in Fresno where it's home of raisins. And so in school, we always had raisins for lunch, which come in these tiny little boxes. And I loved wrapping the boxes in paper and drawing on them and picking out a rock and a little flower and putting it in this tiny little raisin box and creating these little gifts for all the adults in my life to try and cheer them up. Now my sessions, I give you a mantra. Sometimes I give you a crystal and essential oil blend. You've given me things over the years. So I feel like it's an elevated version of the little Fresno raisin boxes. Can you recall and describe the moment you realized you had a gift? Oh yeah. I was in denial for a really long time and kept gaslighting myself, thinking I was crazy, thinking I was disturbed, thinking I needed help. I'm not cut out for this world. So the evidence was there far before I finally surrendered to it. But for me, it was definitely, I had been meditating since 17. And then at 21, 22, I started giving my friends readings, not thinking much of it. Somebody taught me and I just loved it. And I thought it was fun. And I thought I had a, a wild imagination and that's all it was. Well, people started referring other people and then they started affirming the readings and being like, this came true and oh my God, this happened. And I was serving tables at the time. I was in between undergrad and grad school. So serving tables and I was also, I was dental assisting by day because I had convinced myself I was meant to be a dentist. That's kind of odd given everything else that you were at the time, right? Who inspired you to want to be a dentist? 
Well, I mean, growing up as an Iranian Jew, and I think a lot of immigrants share this, my only two options were doctor and lawyer, and I didn't have the self-esteem to think I was qualified to be a doctor, so I went for dentistry. (laughs) (laughs) Really, That's so funny. Was it hard to handle such a powerful gift as a child? Or like you said, there was a moment that kind of came later in life where you then truly stepped into your gift. What was that like? Were you feeling the power of that as a young child or was it delayed until you could really recognize it and then you stepped into it? I definitely felt it as a child and I didn't understand it and I felt responsible. For me, it felt like a lie. Like it felt like all the adults were lying to me, but they didn't know it. And I was just so confused all the time. You were wiser than the adults around you and you didn't know what to do with that. For our tiny little apartment complex, I ended up being like marriage counselor at the tender age of like five, six, all these women. You're kidding. You've got to explain, what were you saying to these people? There was a couple hours between when the kids got home from school and at that time it was like very gendered, but when the men got home from work, in those couple hours, I'd see women be scared of their husbands coming back or the behavior totally changed. You'd hear the car parked and he's walking up the walkway. Suddenly the behavior is changing. Wow. So I just remember, I was more curious than anything. I was like... But why? You don't even look happy. And I heard you guys last night. Like, I just don't understand why you care this much about this person who's only causing you harm. And in asking for me, what sounded really innocent, poignant question, it was just like, no, but really like you're black and blue and you're prioritizing the person that made you black. And I just couldn't get it. And yeah. And what would happen is women would start sobbing and they'd be like, I know, I know I'm stronger than this. And all of a sudden it's turning into a counseling session and I'm telling them they're beautiful and that they do deserve better and that their kids are better off. All of this stuff where I'm like, who, like, why did I feel qualified? I bet reflecting on that now it's mind blowing. How old were you at the time? Five, six. I vividly remember the apartment complex and we moved out of there when I was seven. So it was like between five and seven. You've been talking about the curriculum and your teachings. And so now I want to talk about that. Did you use your own intuition to craft your Nirvana method of clairvoyant healing at all? Were you guided in some way or was it a matter of compiling all that you learned and studied to craft the perfect method? All of the above. I have been blessed with some really amazing teachers that I borrowed from, for sure. And I have always been a seeker. So even when I was like, I'm going to be a dentist, still I was giving my friends psychic readings on the side and meditating. You know, so even when I was gaslighting myself into reality, that was never for me. I was still honoring myself in a way as well and constantly been seeking different healing services. So yeah, it is an amalgamation of stuff that I've learned from teachers, but also I've added to it what I felt was missing things where I'd leave the session and feel really good. 80% like felt like I had clarity and closure and all of that, but like there was a little something missing. So I have studied a lot of different healing modalities. And so I've weaved each of them into the sessions and into the curriculum so that I think there's nothing missing so that it's a little bit more comprehensive. Explain the Nirvana method of clairvoyant healing. So if you're receiving a session, it always starts with an intention. We read from light. So that's definitely a dig on thing that I didn't learn from teachers is 
reading from light because I believe what we focus on grows. So if you read the light, the light will grow. If you read the darkness, the darkness will grow. Even if you're trying to heal it, you know, you're giving it power, you're giving it attention. And so all Nirvana healers, all Nirvana students know to read from light. We have like a process that helps you do that and to focus on people's strengths. And then they rise to the level of their strengths and start co-creating their lives and actualizing their strengths. And in that, the weaknesses fall to the wayside or, you know, they're just not as relevant. Most people are so gifted, but they're just focused in on the two things that they don't do well. And they discredit themselves for all their gifts, their talents, their worth, you know? And so we focus on the light, allow the light to grow. And we watch psychic TV and then convey the psychic TV. And then the session ends with a mantra and sometimes some spiritual homework. So the mantra will be, I'm, you know, making more space for joy or a woman that I just recently read who has to have a mastectomy medically necessary. So I just saw the cancer in her body representing concern. And it just felt like you're representing all the concern in your heart chakra, or you're letting go of all the concern in your heart chakra and you're replacing it with compassion. And I saw beautiful things for her. And so her mantra was, I'm replacing concern with compassion, you know? And then, so she'll repeat that a few times a day. How many people have been trained at this point? Ooh, I should keep better track. So I've been teaching since 2008. I'm going to go with like 2000-ish. Wow. More. I should keep better track. Yeah. Your sessions are really special and very ceremonial. I appreciate the attention to detail that you inject into your sessions. Are you someone who has always been focused on details? And if so, why do you think that is? Absolutely. I think it does in part have to do with the chaos that I grew up in and how nothing was pretty. And so now I love everything pretty and mindful and intentional because it just felt like we were all accidents, you know, (laughs) and living in this group accident. So I do love the attention to detail a lot. I'm a Libra. Also, I'm Iranian and we have so many ceremonies, like dinner is a ceremony. (laughs) And so I do think part of the culture is ingrained in there and everything that I grew up with and beauty invites the spirit, the more clean things are, you know, cleanliness, I do believe is godliness and beauty. It's just joyous. It just inspires. It's been captivating throughout the ages. And I think that it's not surface. I think there is something really spiritual about the human's affinity for beauty. You know, I think that it's profound and it's mesmerizing and it's hypnotic and it can align you into a really beautiful, blissful state. I love that beauty invites the spirit. Absolutely. Describe the look and feel of a session with you. Well, nowadays it's mostly either over the phone or just a couple times a year out of the spot, the Four Seasons in either New York or Beverly Hills. And so if you're at the Four Seasons and you're doing a session, what does it feel like and what does it look like? I love luxury. So I mean, yeah, let's be right. What are you using? What are you doing? What is the ceremony? It starts when you check in and they greet you and get you out of your clothes and into a really comfortable bathrobe. I'll walk you back into the room, which is already a 
have aromatherapy infused. And so we'll start off with the intention setting, sometimes a brief meditation, and that includes the sound bath. And so there's a layer of a healing modality and then I'll apply the essential oils. So I'll take a brief intake and according to what you're presenting with, what you're coming in for, I'll apply relevant essential oils. I only use medicinal grade essential oils. So I'll apply those to acupressure points that I know will serve you. And then if you're electing for the acupuncture, then I'll put the needles in and then we'll go into psychic TV and the reading. So you're covered in oils. And sometimes during the reading, there will be a sound bath. Sometimes there'll be smudging, just depending on what you need. Sometimes there'll be tuning forks. Sometimes there's cupping. Sometimes there's gua sha, just depending on what you need. I'll have all the different modalities there and I'll borrow from them as needed. And then the healing completes with taking the points out, usually applying more essential oils, especially at the four seasons, usually we'll close out with another sound bath where I'll put the sound bowl on your stomach or on your back. And it's such a cool feeling. And then you'll get your mantra and your own custom spiritual homework. Is there one thing that people come to you with the most? What have you learned from your clients over the years? There's two things. One is love, 100% always love. <laughs> like, yeah, whether you're in love, looking for love, just broke up <laughs> in a marriage that's not working, in a marriage that is working, but you want like what I love, 100%. And then a large demographic comes in, like I would say 30% of our clients come in when they've lost a loved one and that they want to connect to. We really do help with the mourning process and honoring your grief, but also honoring the eternal connection that you have with that soul. Day in and day out, you do a lot of thinking and a lot of feeling. So what things do you do in your day-to-day life to balance those things out? Hiking. I'm in Los Angeles right now. It's not always hiking, but nature. I was in Puerto Rico before this. So I was visiting the ocean twice a day. Nature is just so cleansing and it's just so much bigger than us. So I obviously love my healers and I have a few really great ones, but it's nice to feel really, really tiny compared to the cosmos. You know, when you're moving a bunch of energy every day and people are depending on you and relying on you, it's nice to see that there's something bigger. Yes. Nature is so powerful. That's the best. Being in nature is so powerful. What is the process like for the writing that you do? How do ideas and words come to you? Writing is actually my favorite. I feel like it's the session. I knew it. (laughs) I love it so much. Yeah. So the sessions are my muse. The students are my muse. All the writing that I do is based on things that I've experienced either in my life not usually just specific to me. It's patterns or themes that I've witnessed at least a dozen times before I feel called to write about it. And it just feels like I'm channeling. The time flies by. I don't want to go to the bathroom. I don't want to drink water. Like I just get into the zone and I love it. I love it so much. That one's my favorite. You hear lots of stories and some are wonderful and many are stories of great pain. So what are the practices that you put in place to wash all of that off of you? Yeah, I usually have a little 
glass of, I don't know if you remember this from the center or from the four seasons, but we usually have salt water in every room. So the salt is a cleanser and it'll absorb everything. I love selenite for that reason too. It's consolidated salt. It'll cleanse everything. When I'm meeting in person, especially I was a professional psychic for four years before I added the acupuncture. And so for those four years, I wasn't touching people and everything was fine. And then when I added the acupuncture, I started getting migraines. If somebody came in complaining of shoulder pain, the next day I had shoulder pain. It was like, I never knew that. Wow. (laughs) So it was one thing before you actually were connecting with someone's body and then it became something else. It's fascinating. So I had to learn new boundaries and new cleansing techniques. So ever since the acupuncture, I now wash my hands all the way up to my elbows with salt water. And then I'll wash the back of my neck with salt water because those are the places where energy gets stuck the most. That's fascinating too. What are some of the things that you recommend people do daily to feel inner peace? I love this. I know... I should probably say meditation because I have a whole website dedicated to it, but journaling, I think journaling is amazing. I think long walks and journaling just gets everything on the inside out of you. It's so cleansing. It's so cathartic. It's so healing. It's free and available to everyone, you know, Mm -hmm. and it helps you recognize how smart you really are. It's interesting to me that you said either journaling or long walks. I almost feel like, well, I guess maybe people that long walks or journalers, but those are two different types of practices that are almost opposing. I've always been a long walk person. I love long walks. So I'm curious, do you talk out loud when you're going on those long walks? Do I speak words? Yeah. No, they're just racing in my head. There's a constant conversation for sure. Yeah. So there's actual science that if you say them out loud, it's more enlightening and more downloads come through and it's more healing. You'll have a little bit more clarity. Oh, another nugget. Listen to that one, everyone. That's a great one. Yeah. And I feel like most New Yorkers do talk out loud anyway. You know what? It's <laughs> funny. Not- like maybe I do and I don't even notice it. That would be a very New Yorker thing to do, right? Like right? I'm sitting there talking to myself and not even realizing that I'm doing that. Yeah. No one would even notice because we're all doing that. (laughs) What brings you hope? Mm, The youth. Oh my gosh. Working with kids is the best. They're so open-minded. They really get it. They don't understand racism, sexism. They don't even get it. It's not about educating and empowering and shifting. They don't even see it. It's amazing. So definitely the youth. I feel bad for them because we're giving them so much to (laughs) work through, but they have me so hopeful about planet earth and its future. How are you working with youth? How are you connecting with youth exactly? I've been wanting to create this program for kids, a meditation program for kids and also for parents since before I was teaching meditation. So forever. So I'll do birthday parties. It's surprising to hear that. Those are some pretty evolved parents. Right? I've worked with like as young as two and three year olds. That's a really tough crowd because <laughs> they're not used to sitting still, but it works nonetheless. I love, love, love the five year olds. They really get it. They'll tell me all about their dreams. I'll teach them the grounding cord, the golden sun, tools that I teach adults. They get it instantaneously and they add to it. And so I call the grounding cord like the magical tree trunk. And they're like, well, I had to give my mom a tree trunk and my dad. They, 
expand on it in a way that I won't even teach them. They get it. It's so incredible. So for right now, it's a little bit more casually. The goal is they're my data research. They're my little guinea pigs so that I can create a program for all the youth. I love that. Over the years, I've seen your practice develop and grow in such an impressive way. So what's next for you? Bigger things, I'm sure you just talked about. Is there something with children happening in the future and parenting happening in the future? What's next for you? Yeah, that's the goal. I really do think that the kids are the future. So in working with all of these broken adults, it does get, it's just real. I don't know that it's discouraging. It just, it is what it is. I work with a lot of thought leaders, some celebrities that are using their platforms for greater good. And they also make me hopeful. And there is an element of doubt, skepticism, reservation, you know, which totally makes sense. I was in the spiritual closet for so many years myself. So I totally get it. But yeah, I love teaching. I love teaching kids. All I want to do is teach more, write more. I have a book in the works. And I also, as you know, with the sessions, I do love ceremonies. So more bigger like retreats and events like that, that are really customized and very specific for whatever it is that you're seeking. I also love, love, love and value community. I totally think we're all in this together. So what me and my friend are currently working on is a retreat for impact creators, thought leaders that are so stressed, so burnt out, can't depend on anyone for support. So we want to take a small group of these people and give back to them in a beautiful way. And they're all so badass. Usually the badass person is surrounded by (laughs) non-badasses, you know, that are dependent on the badass. And so I think it would be so lovely. That's what's happening in the mentorship is it's a bunch of badasses and it's so amplifying and magnetic and electric. And it's also teaching us all trust when you're surrounded by really amazing people that are doing what they say they're going to do. It helps you trust in others more, trust in humanity. And and I think another thing to the badass archetype is we're often giving more than we're receiving. And so my goal is to get this demographic to receive more because they're creating so much impact. So we got to keep them feeling healthy and whole and joyous. Everything you said makes me so happy. Incredible. Thank you. Share your most important life lesson or way of thinking and feeling. What do you want everyone to know? Change is the only constant. Everything's impermanent. So the joy, it's going to go away. The sadness is also going to go away and then it'll turn into joy, which will turn into sadness, which will turn into. (laughs) So it's like getting too attached to successes can cause pain. Getting too attached to, you know, losses can cause pain. It's all impermanent. All right. This should be so interesting. (laughs) Give me your six, six, six things you're currently obsessed with. So definitely this green tea that I discovered in a restaurant here in LA. I am addicted to it. Can't get enough of it. It's so Um, good. Yeah. And then I've always loved crystals. My newest obsession with crystals is, have you heard of aura quartz? Yes. Yeah. So they spray glass onto the crystal, which makes it rainbowy and sparkly and so pretty. I have an aqua marine aura. Oh, pretty. I bought one from one of my favorite jewelry designers, Jackie Aish, and it's an aqua aura and it's incredible. I, so I know exactly what you're talking about. I love it. Yes. Yeah. I think Where do you get your crystals from? I love Energy Muse because they only use sustainably sourced 
crystals. So they're a big one in Manhattan. I love stick stones and bones. Oh, I've been to stick stones and bones. I haven't been there for years. Somebody referred me. Is that in the East village? It's in the West village in the West village. I know I've been to stick stones and bones. Okay. Great. And I can't remember why or what I was buying. They've got it all. Yeah. I'm a new auntie as of a month. Congratulations. Thanks. That's why I came to LA was to help my brother and sister-in-law with the baby, but I'm in love with her. Can't get enough of her. I'm sad. We're not in the same house so that I can just like inhale her every day. How old is she now? One month. As oh, super brand new. Cute. Yeah. She's a full moon baby. She's so cute. Number four. So since the pandemic, these robes by Spell and the Gypsy Collective, also sustainable, so soft, so luxurious, so regal, so elegant. That's all I was wearing for the past six months. Which one do you own? Can you describe I own it? Three of them. Oh. <laughs> so I should have put them on. I have a long one that's pink with gold. I have a shorter one that's purple and has a lavender moon on the side. They're all whimsical. And then the newest one is a peach one with flowers and gold throughout it. What's next on your list? I've been binge watching Pose. Have you seen Pose? I actually had it on my DVR forever. I'm embarrassed to say I've not gotten to Pose. Obviously been highly recommended to me for a really long time. And yes, it's time to binge watch Pose for sure. You grew up in New York, right? I did. That's the exact comment that everyone has said to me. If you've grown up in New York, you 100% have to watch this. I love that. This is like my third time binging it. The new season is supposed to come out in May. And I'm like- Oh, I love that you're like a re-binge binger. <laughs> Can you explain that to me? Why do people binge and re-binge? Like, what is it giving you? Actually, as a creative, it's a really interesting question. What is it giving you to watch something that you've already binged already? When I watch it, they feel like my friends. So it feels like hanging out with my friends. I Some think really it, interesting people. Yeah. There's always like little nuggets that I didn't catch the first time. But really, I think it's the emotional roller coaster ride that I'm really craving. And it's emotional, but it's not cheap. It's deep. The feelings speak to history and actual facts and experiences that we're still seeing. So it's set in the 80s, but there's some themes that are still prevailing. So it's just... I don't know. It's educational. It's inspiring. The fashion is amazing. The music is stellar. It's fun. It is really emotional. And I'm a really emotional person. So maybe I just love crying. I yeah, know. Right. Right. <laughs> it's like this big package of everything for you. Everything. What I mean, else is on your list? Pen 15. Have you seen that one? No. Oh my gosh. I think that there's only two seasons. It's hilarious. So this one's more of a comedy. I love community. I love friendship. I think most of us women grew up with an understanding of mean girls and exclusivity and competition. And Pen15 is all about the sisterhood. So it's these two comedians that are in their 30s and they're playing 12-year-old girls. And the entire cast is actually 12. So they're the only ones that are playing 12 year olds and they're surrounded by all the, it's like an adolescence set in the nineties. So I guess I've, I'm having a bit of nostalgia for the eighties and nineties. I'm having such nineties nostalgia and I do not know what sparked it. I'm having, where do you watch this? On Hulu. 
I don't know what channel I haven't had TV TV in years. So I don't know. What no channel. one's going to have TV TV anymore. Yeah. So there you go. Oh, that was so great. I love your six. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm sending you so much love. Oh my gosh. Thank you for being such a thought leader. Tamara. It was good to have this kind of a conversation with you. We've had so many other different types of conversations and it was so good to hear more about you. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm obsessed with all that you're up to and all that you do. And I feel like you're constantly reinventing yourself and it's amazing to watch. I don't think many have that level of courage. Oh, thank you so much. Back at you, right back at you.